This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Colorado Mammoth surprised nobody and hired Dan Carey. The road to the Minto Cup in Brampton has officially begun. The senior loops are heating up. There's plenty of international lacrosse to talk about and a goal from the MLL that probably led to a massive, massive team fine. All that and more on OTCB. What is up, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by. Hit me up on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. It's a great day out here in the West Coast. Bears with me in the studio as always, having a little snooze. And the lacrosse world seems to be in a bit of a lull at times. But then we get news from Colorado that they hired the guy we all thought he was going to hire. International lacrosse starts to take form. The road to the Minto Cup is underway. Road to the Man Cup is definitely heating up. So we're into the meat of summer. And oftentimes this can be a slow part of the year. But with free agency coming up in the National Lacrosse League, the hiring of Dan Carey, uh, we are going to be fairly busy over the next few weeks. And one man who is extremely busy is Steven Stamp, who's over in Turku, Finland, broadcasting the European Box Lacrosse Championships. Uh, We talked about those a bit last week. Uh, We'll update you on the standings and how things are going this week. And again, you can watch all those games uh, streamed online. Uh, if you go through uh, the European Box Lacrosse Championship Facebook page, uh, you can find the stream there and all the games in there. And They're playing on a wicked, wicked floor. Uh, somebody commented on Twitter that it almost looked like they were playing on ice. My guess is it's just a very shiny, smooth sport court, um, but it does kind of have that ice feel to it, or look to it at least. Um, so we'll update you on that. Um, the Women's World Lacrosse Championships, Field Lacrosse Championships get underway in England this week. Uh, maybe we'll try and get uh, my brother Fred to give us a live update next week. He's with Team Canada. Maybe we'll delve in to his repertoire, see how good of, he is on the radio waves. Probably a better car salesman than he is on the radio, but that's why I'm in the radio booth, not a car salesman. Um, other international news. Uh, they're the U.S. Boxla U18 team uh, is making their BC tour. It was a successful Ontario tour a couple weeks ago for one of the U.S. Boxla national teams. Uh, this week, the intermediate group, the under-18s, are out in BC, and they got a, a fantastic win the other night over Langley. We'll talk about that um, in a little bit, and we'll kind of mix it in with the world lacrosse championships, the youth championships that were in Denver. Um, if you had no idea about the World Series of Lacrosse uh, youth tournament, you probably didn't even know what was going on because I didn't until I saw a few pictures, but just some unbelievable stuff that, that is going on and helping to grow the game at grassroots levels. Getting the youth to play on bigger stages, I think it's awesome. But the biggest news of the week was news that we were all waiting for 
and news that nobody was too surprised about. And that was that the Colorado Mammoth had named Dan Carey as the successor to Steve Govett as the new general manager. And I say it's been a long time coming because Dano has been a part of the Mammoth organization for the past couple of years. Uh, Steve brought him in as the director of player personnel, and he worked closely with players just to be almost a middleman between players and general manager, players and the front office executives. And it's a great liaison role. Uh, it allowed Dan to interact one-on-one with players on a very consistent basis. Um, it allowed him to kind of, you know, be there in all the negotiations and be there in much of the discussions on how the team is run. Uh, and Steve took him under his wing, uh, was a great mentor for Dan, and this is a great uh, opportunity for Dan Carey, and I think he will absolutely thrive in this role. Uh, someone asked me on Facebook if, you know, being the young guy, the new kid on the block, if GMs are going to try and fleece him on some deals early on to chest, test his chops. I don't think that's going to be the case at all. Um, Dan is very well respected. Uh, both players and executives around the league admire him, like him, um, appreciate what he's done for the game both on and off the floor. So I don't think that will be the case. I don't think people will try to take advantage of him. Maybe Dan will try to play the innocent card and take advantage of some general managers out there, try and sneak one under the table. But he's in a good position to succeed, uh, taking over in his first year. The Mammoth finishing third in the NLL West. Uh, they earned a playoff game in the semifinals after beating Vancouver uh, they have a very strong core in their group. They have some pretty good youth. They have uh, a steady defense. Uh, Dylan Ward's not going anywhere. Uh, they have Zach Greer, who's a, a UFA, and I don't see any issue with them signing him. So I think this is a group that Dan can, you know, take as his first team and start to mold them into his team. Might make some moves here or there to try to find some pieces. But as you'll hear when we talk to him, you know, he very work ethic driven. And that was instilled from his parents. And he's had that his entire career. And I think now that he has got the reins, he is going to move forward and pursue this job as best that he can. And when I was on with Lack Sportsnet the other day, I said, I think this is uh, great for the Mammoth because. Uh, all joking aside, you know, Steve Govett was a mean, quote-unquote, guy. And Dan Carey is much nicer, as Steve actually said to me. But I think his ability to relate to players having been in this league, you know, just a few short years ago, and understanding the nuances of today's National Lacrosse League and the needs and wants of today's National Lacrosse League player, I think it'll make for easy contract negotiations. I think it'll make for easier discussions with free agents because Dan understands what these guys are looking for in 2017 and 2018 and moving forward. So 
but he does have, you know, some challenges. He's got to, you know, be the guy. And it's not going to be easy right away. And he may have some struggles. But I think the best thing for him is that he has a pretty decent team underneath him to kind of help soften that burden of being a first-time general manager. You know, if he was a GM of expansion team, that might be different. First-time GMs with an expansion team generally don't do so well. But since he has a team that is very veteran, a team that he's been around for a few or quite a long time actually having been a player, I think he'll fit in just fine in Colorado. I spoke with him earlier on Tuesday uh, as he is back in Baltimore with John Grant and the Evolve Lacrosse Group uh, running some camps and playing some games out there. He's going to be doing some scouting on the East Coast. So I was able to catch up with him during his busy schedule, and the first thing I asked him was how does the title General Manager Dan Carey sound? Sounds pretty good. I'm not used yeah. to it. I don't know how long it'll take for me to get used to it, but it sounds nice. Uh, even kind of, I've often felt since you know since you've been brought into the Mammoth and and since you know knowing you throughout this past season that you've kind of been groomed for this position. Are you ready to take over for Steve Govett, who's been the only GM the Mammoth have ever known? Absolutely. Steve called me uh, about two years ago now, and you know for him he's been doing this a long time. I know he's still passionate about the sport. The team, you know, the Mammoth, he, he brought there in 2003. So I know he's really passionate about that team, but he had some things, you know, other opportunities that he was exploring, and he wanted to make sure that when he left that there was somebody that he trusted and, and you know, leaving the teams in good hands. So, again, you know, I, I know there's no guarantees, especially in this business, but mm-hmm. I took a chance when he offered me the position of director of player personnel to move out to Denver and, and kind of, you know, let him groom me, so to speak. So, yeah. Has it been tough? Like, what's been the – I think I asked you this before, but, you know, it, and it's kind of funny that this has happened and, and you've moved into this position because you're, you know, you're joining an elite group of guys that actually played professional lacrosse and are now in a front office position. How hard has the transition been? Because we see that in so many sports of, of guys making the transition from players to – to bench staff or personnel staff, what's been the biggest challenge for you? Um, I think it's, you know, just learning as I go has, has been, it's been interesting. And I know that with the, the experience that I have or the lack of experience that I have, um, I'm going to make up for it in working my butt off. And, yeah. you know, that's what I owe to this organization and the team and everybody else involved. So, you know, being an alumni of the, of the Mammoth, I take great pride in the logo and everything about that team and the franchise. So, you know, it's something that it's it's a challenge, and I'm yeah. I'm gonna embrace it, and I'm gonna do you know the best job possible. And I know that I'm more than capable of doing a good job for this team. And, and it helps that you know you have the respect of not only just the players on the Mammoth organization, but uh, I can probably say that throughout the league, you're still a very well-respected guy and would make it easy for people to talk to you. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, for me, I, I've always shown people respect and I believe that, you know, uh, 
I believe that people, you know, show me the same type of respect and that's something that I've always taken pride in. And I think that's part of doing things the right way and, and being a good person and working hard. And, you know, I know it's, it's a different role, but I don't know if that, that changes much, right? I think just by working hard and, and doing the right thing is always going to kind of give you that respect that you've deserved. Where does, yeah. And where does that work ethic come from? Cause you are, you're brought up in a, in a really strong family. I got to meet your dad for the first time this year. Uh, obviously they instilled in that in you in a very young age. Absolutely. And I think, you know, growing up in a, Peterborough's a smaller town and everybody seems to know everybody. I know that, he grew up the same way. He grew up with a big family that he was one of nine and my mom was one of five and both of them grew up in the country and, and they just, that was instilled into them at a young age and they did the same for me. So knowing that, you know, they've, they've done so much for me over, you know, the 35 years I've been alive and especially from a, a sports perspective, hockey, mm-hmm. lacrosse, they've always, pushed me and, and given me great opportunities. So that hard work, you know, comes from both my parents, but especially my dad. So you are going to be put to work pretty uh, quickly here now that you are the new general manager. What's sort of been on your to-do list uh, since you've taken over? Well, there's, as we know, Steve left, Josh Gross left with him, and Don Sunblaze, who's been around the team for a long time. He's assistant GM. He just left. His last day was on Friday. So I've had to to quickly figure out my, my staff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Luckily I've got three great, three great coaches that are, that are still around. So I don't have to worry about that. And I, we've got a great roster. I, I'm really happy with, with the players that we have. And we've got a really good group of guys, great individuals. And, and as a team, we're starting to, to play pretty well. I know we, we dealt with, you know, some issues last year with some injuries, but I'm, I'm happy with where we're at. But that being said, you know, I, since I came here to the Mammoth, it's been a priority of mine is to, you know, to help with putting the best possible team on the floor and giving the guys that are wearing that jersey the best opportunity to win a championship. So that's still my goal. And, and I know once the dust settles a little bit and once I get staffed, then, you know, that's, that's going to be my main priority. Uh, do you see your, have you dreamt of blockbuster deals? You know, now that you're kind of in this position, <laughs> you have a nightmares about anything or, or do you like, you know, are you a Mike Keenan kind of GM? What kind of GM do you think you're going to be? I don't know. You know what? It's, <laughs> again, it goes back to whatever you think is best. And there's yeah. some things that we've done over the last couple of years, you know, trading Adam Jones for Zach Greer. Always tough to trade a guy with, you know, the, the caliber of player that Adam Jones is and the type of guy he is. But, you know, you, you get a guy like Zach Greer. So it's it's something that you got to give a lot of thought to. And mm-hmm. I've been talking to a few GMs around the league. And right now I just, I got to make sure that I'm, I'm assessing the situation properly and making sure yeah. that I'm make, not making any quick decisions, um, short term, long term, everything I need to make sure that I'm, I'm being aware of it. And, and I know that, you know, it's an important part of the business to, to win now, but also to be, to be good in the future. So my goal is to, to do whatever I need to do to, to make this team successful and continue on that path free agency is coming up at the end of the month uh you guys have some players that are rfas and ufas do you have any priorities that you need to to kind of get done with before uh august 1st yeah absolutely i I, i'm gonna you know i don't see any reason why we won't be able to to re-sign our players that are ufas so that's 
goal number one is to get those guys re-signed and then just see what, what happens on, on August 1st. I don't know. If, I think a lot of teams are in the same situation as myself and, and doing the best to sign the guys that they have in the current roster. And we've got some guys that we feel that can play in this league that are street free agents as well. So yeah, reaching out to them and, and want to bring a really competitive group of guys into camp. You've talked about, you know, hard work has been your thing and you're, you've hit the ground running right away and, and, and you've made the transition from player to front office. Why, why do you think it is hard or why do you think more guys aren't, you know, once they've stopped, uh, why aren't they getting involved with pro teams and why aren't more pro teams reaching out to their former players to kind of bring them into the fold and groom them like uh, Steve did with you? Honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. I know that for myself, I have always been extremely passionate about the sport of lacrosse. And I think you see the guys that are involved still are the same way. And there's a lot of players that continue on a different path that still have that passion and have had that passion, you know, through their playing career. But, um, you know, I just, I know it's not for everybody. It's, it's a lot of work. It can be tough. It can be, you know, just that, um, that competitiveness that you're going through as a player. It can be very similar, you know, when you're a coach or working in the front office. So I, I love that. I thrive off of that and that's what keeps me doing this. And it's just something that I'm so passionate about. Um, so I can't really speak to everybody else who from the outside, if they're, if they're not doing, you know, what we're currently doing, but I know for me, it's that passion. Do you, uh, you know, you were, you talk about that passion. Do you see other guys that are in the league now that you think could maybe one day make that jump? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure there's a handful of guys on each team. And we've got some players on our team that understand the game so well and the way they approach the game, how how serious they take it. And I think that's the biggest thing is we know where we're at as a league and yeah. we know where the other professional leagues are at. So the guys who really buy into the fact that we can get there and and really embrace the NLL and want to see it succeed and do everything we possibly can to see it succeed. You know, just approaching the game for for shoot around, for practices, for mm-hmm. film. We've got guys that are that are just dialed in and, you know, it starts with our leaders. So I'm sure there's there's a couple guys on every team that are, are going to be able to do, you know, what I'm what I'm doing and put in this position when they're retired. Um and hopefully there's more jobs, you know, as expansion mm-hmm. happens then you're gonna have more opportunities for guys to step into roles. You're the youngest general manager in National Cross League history, I believe. I don't think anyone comes close. Um, I think Steve was uh, Steve might have been really? close to the same age when he was in Philly. Yeah. So check that out, Teddy. Check that I out. I'm not sure. But do, and, do you feel like you definitely a... don't want to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you have a, a chip on your shoulder or anything like that coming in um, as sort of the new kid on the block? I don't think a chip. I think. You know, I've talked to most of the, the GMs, the current GMs, and over my the last two seasons, I've been able to had some good conversations with the current GMs. And I don't know, I don't, I don't see why I should have a chip in the shoulder. I'm going to go about my business as everybody else is, and, and be a professional, and again work hard. And I don't think my age really makes a difference while dealing with and working with the other GMs. So, um, 
you know, I, I know what I know and there's a lot that I have to learn, but I think with the experience that I have as a player and, you know, in, in my previous role, I know I'm confident in, in my abilities and I know that I'm going to do a good job. Well, my friend, I know everyone's excited to see you flourish in your new job and I'm excited uh, to see kind of some of the moves that you pull off and, and what strings you can pull. It's, it's a, it's a great honor for you. It's a, uh, it's been a long time coming. I'm so happy for you, my friend. Congratulations on the gig, and I know uh, we'll be talking to you soon. I appreciate it, Teddy. Thank you very much. There is Dan Carey, the new general manager of the Colorado Mammoth. Now, I definitely jumped the gun in saying that he was the youngest general manager in NLL history. Now, I don't know who the actual youngest was or the top 10 youngest NLL GMs in the league. But I did do some quick reconnaissance, and Steve Govett was indeed younger than Dan Carey. I believe Dan's 35. Steve was 32 when he took over the Philadelphia Wings back in 1999. Govett played with the Wings from 94 to 98, won, five ti- sorry, won three titles in five years with them. And then took over the club in 99 before moving to the Washington Power. And then eventually moving on to the Colorado Mammoth as the Power would move from Washington to Denver. And Steve has been with the franchise since then, since now moving on. And now it is Dan Carey's. And like we talked about, you know, There are some challenges, but he obviously has his priorities. He doesn't think any of those UFAs will be tough to sign. I don't think so either. Um, And I think Dan will get a a reputation for being a well-liked general manager. One guys can relate to, guys can talk to, but at the same time, he will be stern. He'll have to stay under the cap just like all GMs would. 410k is the salary cap or luxury tax, however you want to put luxury cap, however you want to put it. So obviously, you know, when the contracts start standing up and stacking up and that number gets closer and closer, there'll be some tough decisions. But that all comes with the territory. And I think he will do just fine in that role. And I would love to see other former players in that role. Because when you look at it, and I've, I've tried to find full front office list of, of teams and think of guys that are former NLL players that are in front office positions, and there's not that many when you think about it. Um, Kurt Miloski's an assistant GM. Kyle Sorensen's a bit of an assistant GM in Vancouver. Obviously, Derek Keenan. Um, Josh Sanderson is sort of a GM in waiting in Toronto. Micah Kersey works in player operations in Rochester. Eddie Como has been on both sides of the ledger um, as a coach and GM in the National Lacrosse League. But there aren't too many guys in the newest generation in that role. You know, guys who... We're playing in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, mid-2000s, late 2000s, 
that are starting to take over those roles. Um, expect in a couple of days an announcement from the Rochester Nighthawks as they are planning to bring back a former player into the fold in a director of player personnel role. Uh, I'm not at liberty to say who, but um, I love the hiring. I love the acquisition of this guy. I love this guy. Um, I think he'll do a great job there. But I, I truly believe that, and I've said this about we've needed more guys coaching, more former players giving back to the game in a coaching role, whether it be coaching their kids or just coaching minor teams. I, I still believe that, and I, I think we need more guys coming up through the ranks in the coaching world, um, starting in minor, going through intermediate or junior, and then on to senior in the NLL. That tradition and that career path needs to continue. And we're starting to see more guys, you know, the Caleb Toth and the Rob Williams and the Kurt Miloskis of the world that are former coaches or former players and now coaches starting to get into the league. But now we have to make that next transition of former players who maybe were former coaches or not, but have a sense of the game and a love of the game and a passion of the game to get involved in the front office level because we all bitch and complain, uh, players and fans alike, about travel schedules and about pay and about flights and hotels and per diem and back-to-back games and middle-of-the-week games and all these things. And until we get more former players in those offices and in those meetings to truly let, you know, the presidents and the BOGs and the vice presidents and the commissioner and all of his people, let them know that, you know, what really needs to happen to help this league grow and help keep the players happy, we need more former players to voice those opinions and to be put in roles where they can actually make a difference. You see it in every other sport. We need more players coaching. We need more players in front offices. And we need more players getting behind a microphone like I do, either doing podcasts or being broadcasters, color commentators, insiders, whatever you want. That is something that we as a lacrosse community don't do very well. And we need to be better at it. And I truly think that Dan Carey is just a a stepping stone. There are more people out there. It just takes, you know, a general manager to bring in a former player like Steve did with Dan. And just, you know, you don't have to throw him to the wolves right away. Just put him in a role where he can interact with the players. He can be around the team, be around meetings and decisions that are made and see how the ins and outs of a team work. And then after a couple years, because with expansion, we're going to need it. And expansion teams that will put general managers with literally no lacrosse credentials to their name, are going to struggle. So, they're, they're, we're in a crazy time in the lacrosse world. And, you know, people often talk about, you know, expansion. When are teams coming? Where are they going to be? How many are there going to be? Nick Sakevich has said, anywhere from two to four in 2019. He said it in a tweet. 
There's going to be two. There could be as many as four. Well, are there four experienced general managers out there? I don't know. So we need to find guys and start grooming them. And allow the longevity of guys' um, connection to the lacrosse world continue. So often guys are drained out by the grind of being, you know, the, the Monday to Friday worker and the Friday to Sunday lacrosse player. Traveling, flights, hotels, late night practices, late night meals, early morning practices, the whole thing that goes with it. Once their time is done, they're like, I need to take a massive step back and remove myself from the game a bit just to, you know, appease my boss, appease my family, let my body rest, let my mind rest. I get that. But after a couple years, the itch is still there. And what guys miss the most is, you know, the grind, is, you know, being in the airport with your teammates and traveling, all that stuff and, and being in the locker rooms, all those things is what creates the bond and the family environment and, and the friendships. And to be able to be on the road with those guys in a different position but still be involved and, and at par go to battle with them to an extent, it's a great feeling. Just, you know, just ask Dan what it was like to, to be involved. And, you know, to, to have to take off the runners and put on business shoes. It's a bit different. Some guys can hack it. Some guys can't. And we need to start firing the guys that can because we need them. What else is going on in the lacrosse world? The road to the Minto Cup officially gets underway tonight with the Coquitlam Adnax, the number one seed out west, taking on the Victoria Shamrocks, while the New Westminster Salmon Bellies will take on the Poco Saints. And I love the Saints story. They're a team that has slowly risen from the ashes in the basement of the BC Junior A League to starting to become a bit of a force. I think they still have a long way till they crack the top two, but the fact that they're playing in the 2-3 game against New West is huge. Uh, would love to see... Would love to see them upset the bellies. Um, I don't have much hope for my junior Shamrocks uh, going up against Coquitlam. Um, it's either going to be uh, a sweep or it's going to be over in four games. Um, but if Poco can knock off New West and Coquitlam moves on, then we got the Coquitlam Derby, which will make things even more interesting. So that's out in BC. In Ontario, the RML finals are set. It's Calgary... And Saskatchewan, the SWAT versus the Okotoks Raiders. That as well is a best of five series. And in Ontario, we still don't know the final, final standings. Six Nations will finish number one. Brampton will finish number two. Mimico will finish three. And then Whitby, Orangeville, Burlington, KW kind of all file in behind uh, with games to play. So we wait to see the final seeding. But the road to the Mental Cup is underway. Uh, you can go to each team's website. If you're on Twitter, uh, follow at Road to Minto 17. They've got um, all the latest 
standings, quote-unquote. Um, they're not official. They're just their standings. Uh, but they also have all the series up there, so uh, you can follow along as we get going towards the Minto that will be in Brampton later this summer, generally around the end of August. But in the senior loops, Peterborough continues to run away with the MSL. They are now five points clear of Six Nations. However, they played two more games. So if the Nations can win two games, that puts them just one point back. So um, they are behind, and Peterborough is much ahead, but there is ground to be made. But still, we already know who the four playoff teams are going to be. Peterborough, Six Nations, Brooklyn, Oakville, Branton, and Coburg just fighting for respect right now. Coburg, after starting the year, I think like 0-10, has won two of their last four games. Starting to rebound a little bit. Still, very lopsided goals for and against. 83 goals for, 179 goals against. The lowest and highest in both of those categories. Riley O'Connor, who just re-upped with the New England Black Wolves, uh, leading the MSL by a single point over Sean Evans. A few weeks ago, I told you that that gap would slowly close once Evie played a few more games, and he has it down to one point. Kyle Buchanan, Evie's teammate, is just six points of O'Connor. And O'Connor who's at the top and number one from Brooklyn, is being hounded by four Peterborough Lakers players. Evans, Buchanan, Catoni, and Turner Evans. So that's Sean Evans in second, Turner Evans in fifth. So it's a hunt for the Brooklyn Redmen, as it were, as Riley O'Connor looks to win a scoring championship, but he has Sean Evans breathing down his throat. Out west, it is ridico-tight in the WLA standings. Maple Ridge on 13 games has 18 points. Victoria on 13 and Burnaby on 12 each have 17 points. And then New Westminster is in fourth. They've played 12 games, have 13 points. Then Nanaimo, Coquitlam, and Langley sit outside the playoffs as it stands. We have passed the two-thirds mark in the season, and we're rounding the quarter pole home, and it's going to be one heck of a finish out west. Um, n- nothing really to decide between Victoria, Maple Ridge, Burnaby. Even New West is right in there. They've had a bit of a stumble the last couple of games, but I expect those four teams to be our playoff teams. Nanaimo and Coquitlam could get in there. I don't really see it happening, but you never know. But Maple Ridge, Victoria, Burnaby, New West, those are a safe bet to be your four playoff teams. As for the scoring race, well, it's Corey Smalls to lose. He has a 22-point lead on second-place Mike Mallory. He has the most goals, he has the most assists, and he has the most points, and he's only got two penalty minutes. But he's been kind of quiet his last couple games, which is odd for Corey Small, but uh, so have the Victoria Shamrocks. They haven't been playing their best lacrosse as of late. Uh, They kind of exploded against Langley a couple nights ago. But for a team that is very heavy with talent and imports and guys who 
might be collecting a few extra island coins over the summer, they need to start to find their groove because Maple Ridge is a team playing with a lot of confidence. Burnaby is starting to find their rhythm and starting to get all their players back. And Victoria just can't show up and expect to win. It's not that kind of league this year. It hasn't been that kind of league for the past couple of years. And while Victoria may be the team loaded with quote-unquote superstars, they haven't been playing like it as of late. They do have youth and they do have some inexperience, but their veteran leadership and guys who have been brought in to help this team get back to the Man Cup haven't been doing a lot of it. Uh, we'll see Joey Reza Terrence in the lineup for the first time this Friday. Uh, Aaron Bold has only pl- has played three games. He's, I think, one and two. Hasn't looked his greatest, and people kind of keep asking me what's up with Bold. You know, he hasn't. Why is he not playing up to the level that we've seen him play or used to seeing him play? Well, one, the guy's played a ton of lacrosse. And he continues to fly across the country for games. Uh, his hometown, is well, I guess it's not that far from Edmonton to BC anymore, but um, it's still a lot of travel. And he's playing in front of a D de- or behind a defense that is rotating guys in and out. Uh, a defense that he's not very used to, a completely different defense or a bit of a different defense than what he plays behind in Saskatchewan. But on the other side, maybe people were right. And maybe the reason Aaron Bold hasn't won Goaltender of the Year awards and hasn't gotten those year-end recognitions as much as some would think. Maybe it is because he's a byproduct of the defense in front of him. And now he's being exposed, as it were, playing in Victoria. Now, I don't think that's the case. I've always been a Boldy fan. He's been uh, a great goaltender um, from his junior days and intermediate days. And I think he is a top-level National Lacrosse League and pro-level goalie. And I just think going from the summer to winter is tough, man. Like, kid you not. And all the lacrosse that he's been playing gets draining on the body. Uh, He has to change his pads. He's got to use a different stick than he does in the wintertime. The nets are a different size. There's a lot of things that go into being a goaltender all year round. And I'm sure once playoff comes and Boldy's in the lineup more regularly, then he'll start to settle down. But, you know, we see it with with a lot of other goaltenders. Frankie Shiliano struggles at times. Mike Poulin, you know, he's probably not going to play this year. But, you know, when he comes back in the summer a couple years ago, you know, he wasn't always on his game. Cosmo, Matt Vince, uh, Nick Rose, you go down the list of guys that play both. And it often takes them a little while to get back into the swing of things. So Shamrock fans can rest assured that once this team gets a little more familiar with each other, a little more steady in the lineup, that they will be better. But they're going to have to find that pretty darn quick because at times they've shown brilliance, but other times they've just been real sloppy, really lazy, and it's cost them some games. And at this time of the year, you can't afford to drop points. Around the world we go to some lacrosse throughout the globe. Uh, Before we go international, shout out to the late Scotty McMichael. Psycho McMichael, 
as he was more commonly known, introducted, introducted, introducted into the Ontario Lacrosse Hall of Fame. Scotty was a longtime Brooklyn Redmond, and, and many will know uh, his two kids, Ryan and Scott McMichael, uh, two great salts of the earth dudes who uh, miss their dad every day and, and are a true legacy of everything that he was. Um, so congratulations uh, to the McMichael family. Uh, other guys going in, Jamie Batley, Paul Day, Roy Ledoux, Kenny the Monster Montour, and Burt Russell. So congratulations to the 2017 class of the Ontario Lacrosse Hall of Fame. Um, we talked about um, youth lacrosse and the U.S. Boxla. Well, the U.S. Boxla U18 BC Tour is underway, and the under-18 quote-unquote national team, man, I've used quote-unquote a lot today. I'm not even throwing up air quotes. I'm just just saying the words. But the U.S. Boxla national team, under-18 styles, uh, made it up to B.C. this week, had a bit of a camp uh, with Kurt Miloski. Uh They're coached by the likes of Ben Prepchuk, Greg Bice, um, and they were in Langley the other night, and they beat the Langley Intermediate Thunder 14-13, I believe, for a historic win. And they will continue their little tours. They'll take on Coquitlam. If you want, you go to usboxla.com and follow along. You can follow them on Twitter as well. And I just, again, I'm going to continue to say how happy I am with what Matt Brown and Bill Tierney and everybody at U.S. Boxla is doing and everybody in Denver for what they are doing to help grow the game of lacrosse the right way. Not just putting guys out into a field and letting them play pickup lacrosse. Proper referees, proper coaches, proper instruction, going to well-respected tournaments across Canada, playing the best of the best, and we're starting to see results. That game where they beat Langley is a huge win for that group and a huge win for U.S. lacrosse to be able to come up here and beat a team with the caliber of the Langley Intermediates. Uh, we saw these U.S. national teams have sex, have success in Ontario uh, a couple weeks ago, and now they're in B.C., and, it, and it's the fruits of the labor are starting to show, and it's awesome. Speaking of Denver, the World Series of Lacrosse Youth Tournament was in Denver last week. And if you didn't know about it, you may not even have ever heard about it and knew what was going on. Essentially, it was a tournament in Denver put on by Warrior at the U13 level. There were teams from across the U.S. I believe they had to uh, pay their way in. But Jake Steinfeld and Warrior and the MLL really got together um, and put on an incredible weekend for these kids. And there's some great videos and pictures on the at World Series Lax Twitter account. Um, and you can just see not just the incredible swag that these kids got. Like, I think there's a video somewhere of the kids who were in the championship game walking into their locker room and finding all brand new warrior gear. Pads, helmets, cleats, sticks, gloves, the whole nine. 
Like, what 13-year-old kid doesn't want that? And then to get, you know, a, a, a mentor talk by Jake Steinfeld, uh, to be around other great players from across the country, to play in some high-level lacrosse, and to be broadcast on ESPN is massive. But the outreach that we're seeing, and this is one of the coolest things, is the exposure that the game gets from other pro athletes who have kids that play lacrosse. Um, The human suplex machine, Taz, he tweeted out that he was stoked to see um, the exposure that youth lacrosse is getting on ESPN2. His former son played for Express Lacrosse that was in the uh, the final game. I know Nota Begay third was there, the former golfer and current uh, golf reporter. And the amount of love that the pro guys are showing these kids. Uh, Jake Berge, incredible talent, and hats off to Primetime Lacks Express for making the final. Will Manny, absolutely love the effort and talent on the field here. Um, Ken Kloss and these kids are unreal. And, you know, the pro guys take notice of this. These are the up-and-coming kids, and a lot of these guys are coaching some of these kids. Bobby Roode, the NXT champion, was part of a team with Tracy Kaluski. And it's just crazy to see the overlap of mainstream sports and lacrosse, and it's there. And the exposure that it gets because these guys are tweeting about it is massive. And the World Series Youth Lacrosse Tournament was an incredible success. And maybe the biggest news to come out of it, a 13-year-old kid shot 102 miles an hour. 16 miles an hour off of the world record. And he's 13. That's ridiculous. And awesome at the same time. So shout out to all the guys involved in bringing this World Series Youth Lacrosse Tournament together. Warrior, ESPN, New Balance, the MLL, fantastic stuff. Even more international news. The FIL Rathbones Women's World Cup kicks off tomorrow over in jolly old England. The first game is England versus Wales, and then everything gets kicked off on Thursday. Pool A is the pool that everyone will kind of keep their eye on. USA, Canada, Australia, England, Wales, Scotland. As mentioned, Team Canada over there. My brother is there, and maybe we'll check in with him next week just to see how the team is doing. Um, By that time, they'll have already played a couple games, and on the Tuesday, they play England, and that gets us set for the final. That will be the final game of the group stages on that day, so it will be a great time to check in with them. Um, But a couple things out of this tournament. Uh, The Haudenosaunee are there. Uh, Essentially, the Iroquois national team. Uh, not going by the Iroquois name, going by their Haudenosaunee name, which brings up the question um, of how they got there. I actually don't know that answer. Um, I don't know if they traveled on their Haudenosaunee passports, if they departed through the U.S., um, how they got in. It's the whole situation that troubled the men's team back uh, in 2010. I'm going to look into that for you, see if I can find some answers. Uh, And then the other thing, 
is that uh, thanks to the BBC Sport, starting uh, with the quarterfinals on the 19th, you'll be able to watch all the games streamed online. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. If you go to BBC Sport, or sorry, bbc.com slash sport uh, on the 19th, all the games will be web streamed there. So all the quarterfinal games, semifinals, and finals, uh, you'll be able to watch. So uh, if you have a daughter that plays field lacrosse, or if you play field lacrosse, Friends do. Let them know. Starting on the 19th, bbc.com slash sport, and you can watch all of the games. Or uh, you can go to uh, the the tournament website, which is over on englishlacrosse.co.uk slash rwlc17. Again, englishlacrosse.co.uk backslash rwlc17. Best of luck. To the Canadian women, bring us home a gold because we'd love to see it. And it's our turn to win that women's tournament. And finally, back on North American soil, from the Major League Lacrosse, I I just don't even know. Pass in front, knocked away by Kelly. He'll fling it the length of the field. Oh, that's going to count. That's going to count. Gittleman was in the goal, not paying attention. Gittleman did not look. And Jack Kelly's heave goes in. Oh, my goodness. I have never seen anything like that in my entire life. Goal of the year. Look at this. He wasn't looking. Gittleman is grabbing the water bottle, not paying attention. And that's a two-pointer. And the momentum is certainly back in Denver's favor. Just like that. I don't know if they can recover from that. Kelly just was like playing out the clock. And Gittleman gave up on the play. Yeah, I I just don't really know what to say. A goal between Denver and Atlanta last week. And just crazy things. It's 13-9 Denver. As the third quarter is about to end, and Jack Kelly, as you heard, picked off the pass, fired it coast to coast. First of all, to be able to throw with a goalie stick, I know field across goalie stick, much different than a box goalie stick. But to be able to chuck it that far on a rope in the span of, what, three seconds, four seconds, that he caught it and threw it? Yeah, about four seconds. Phenomenal. Just to hit the net is phenomenal. And then, for, I, I don't even know what Gettleman's doing. Well, I do because they tell us he literally has reached into the back of his net to grab his water bottle and is standing there drinking as the ball goes flying right by his head. It doesn't even hit him. That's how good of a shot it was. Like, pick the corner. Now, I don't know the Atlanta Blaze team rules I would imagine that there's got to be some sort of team fine standard flat pick up a dinner for the D something because that is just unacceptable you have one job don't let the ball go in and he stopped paying attention thought the quarter was going to be over and in the end Looks like a complete donkey.
Love it. I love it. Goalies get in the way of my shots all the time, so I'm happy that something like that happened to a goaltender. Stoked about it. And we'll end the show on that high note of a goaltender getting shown up. Please don't hate me, Goal Union. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for tuning in as always. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. It's a lacrosse pun. It makes sense. Or you can find me uh, via email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. BCJ playoffs, RML playoffs, Ontario playoffs starting soon. And out west and in the east, the senior loops rage on. MLL's closing down. They just had their all-star game. Um, I'm... Lacrosse All-Star games just don't do anything for me. Uh, their trick shots weren't anything special. Uh, I was kind of disappointed in the MLL All-Star game. That's a story for a completely different day. And with that, we bid adieu. Thank you to my man Dan Carey. Congratulations again. And until next week, take a friend to a game. If you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun they will have too. Until then, be excellent to each other. 